and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our series titled Looking Up. Today, we're going to be talking about seven ways to defeat depression. Kurt, with this in mind, where do you plan on taking us in the scriptures today? Today, we're going to be in Psalm 119, and we're going to see how God gives us seven ways to meditate on Him. Uh, Essentially, that's what this passage is about, is He's teaching us how to fill ourselves with His precepts, His ways, His wonders, His commands and statutes, His instructions, His decrees, and His promises. Um, So as we approach this passage, the goal is to have an understanding that biblical meditation is a filling up of uh, ourselves with the truth of who God is. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 119. Um, and we're going to be looking at seven ways to defeat depression. So last week we kicked off this, this mental health series and we looked at anxiety. And we talked about anxiety. Often for people, it's a weight. It's something that's on them, a heavy weight, and they, can't, they don't feel like they can get it off. Uh, when you talk to people about depression, often the imagery that they use is of darkness. Okay, So the idea uh, when you deal with depression is that it's kind of like a season of darkness. Um, so depression is to have a shroud of darkness over your mind, emotions, and will that constantly keeps light dimmed and life numbed. Uh, It's like looking for the way out of the darkest nighttime forest while seeing only more trees and stumbling over every lying root of confusion, doubt, and self-deprecation. And so I think those are three good words that you run into when when people are experiencing depression. There's there's a sense of confusion. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Um, There's there's doubt, like what caused this? I'm not even sure why I feel the way that I feel. Um, I know it's there, but I don't I'm not even sure how to define it. Um, and as we go through this, this series, one of the things that we're going to run into is you can't, you can't defeat what you can't define, and you can't conquer what you don't confront. Okay, those are things that we have to be able to do. Can we define what the issue is so that we can defeat it? And then you're not going to be able to conquer what you don't confront. And so there's an element of our will that has to be engaged in this. And I'll show you where that is in this passage as we go through it. And then that last line there of self-deprecation, uh, the idea that we're just constantly beating ourselves up. Somebody who's in that season of depression. They're always believing the lies about themselves. Uh, they're, they're falling into the trap of thinking that they're no good, uh, that something that they've done or something that someone has done to them is the definition of their, of their identity. Okay. And so one of the things we want to do as we go through this, and I'll, I'll, I've got a handout at the back. If you want more on identity in Christ, I just think it's a crucial piece to uh, being able to confront this idea of beating ourselves up for who we think maybe we are. But as we go through this, what I want to do is I want to say, thank God, he is the way out. Um, As we talked about this last week, if you remember uh, God's threefold approach, one is himself, the second one is his word, and the third one is his family, okay? And so God gives us himself. He is present with us in our pain. He's not far. He's not distant, but he is right there with you. Um, No matter what you're going through, God is right there with you. Uh, The the other thing is that he gives us his word. And I'm going to actually, that's what this psalm is mostly about. As we go through... Uh, Psalm 119, it's mostly about what God has revealed to be true in the Bible. And so we want to leave here with a sense today of there's a seriousness of how we handle the Bible and that we should do it often. We should, we should handle God's word often. Okay. Um, and then when we talk about his family, you may have heard that you may have heard me say, Hey, we're supposed to handle God's word often. You go, well, I'm not even sure how to do that. How, how do I go about handling God's word? And so one of the other things that you need to do is engage in a Christian community. Okay. Uh, once a morning on Sunday is great. And I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if that's all you can make it during a week, that's all right. But we'd love to see you more. Uh, we'd love to see you at a men's group on Monday night. Deidre would love to see you at her Bible study on Tuesday morning, right? There's all these places where you could be engaged in 
diving into God's word. All right. And so once a morning, once a week on Sunday morning is good, but God really wants us to approach his word more often than that. And if you're going, I'm not sure how, then I encourage you to engage in this Christian community here. Uh, We are the growing family of God. We want you to grow in Christ. We want new people to meet Jesus and come into a saving relationship with him. And so uh, engage in this Christian community. Okay. Now, again, as we talk about depression. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite bands are called The Citizens, and they have a song called Looking Up. If you notice the title of your series, I might have stolen it. Um, but uh, the lyrics go like this. They say, black cloud hanging on my head, haven't seen the sunshine for weeks. All I want to do is go to bed, be a runaway in a dream. Well, I, I guess I could just pretend, give the image of a man at peace, cheap means to an empty end when what I really need is some relief. And so he talks about that black cloud, that darkness, how he's not, he just feels like there's no sunshine. Maybe he lives in Portland. Um, but he, you know, this idea that he wants to run away, um, he could, he could give the image of a man at peace, but what he really needs is some relief. He could pretend, show up to Sunday morning and say, yeah, no, everything's great. I have to give the image of a man at peace, but really what he needs is some relief. Then he says, like a statue stuck in time, I don't ever really seem to move. Maybe all of it's by design. Maybe God is working on me. But what's a pessimist supposed to do? Well, I guess I could just pretend, give the image of a man who's free, feet firm on a weak defense when what I really need is some belief. And so he just says, I feel stuck. It's dark and I'm stuck. And I need some some relief. I need some belief. Um, I could pretend, I could show up and say, no, everything's great. But what I really need is some relief and some belief. And as we go through this passage, what I want to do is I want to show you the places where there is relief and there is belief. There is a God who wants to relieve you of this. And there's a God who, when you put your trust and belief in him, he delivers you from these circumstances. Uh, Maybe not from the circumstances, but from the feelings that the circumstances bring. Okay, and so uh, that's what we want to do as we go through this. I also want us to remember that we're, we're not here to downplay mental health issues, okay? Um, these are serious things, but we are here to provide care from God's word, uh, from his family, and referral to med- medical professionals as needed. So if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I am going through this season of darkness. I do feel stuck. I don't know what to do next. Uh, the biggest thing is don't stay alone, but approach somebody. In fact, we have a phone number. If you want to text it or call it, um, we would be more than willing to follow up with you. If you're like, hey, I don't want to do the text or call thing, but I'd love to talk to you. Just walk up here, talk to me. Myself, Don, Tony, and Tammy are all biblical counselors. We'd be, we would love to give you biblical counsel for the situation of life that you're going through. Um, and there may be circumstances where we go, and I'm not a medical professional, but I know one, and we do think this would be a time for you to see one uh, for, for medical help, okay? And so we don't want to downplay play these things, but instead we want to face them real. Um, we we want to we conquer what we confront, and we want to confront these things with God's word. Um, and so as we get into Psalm 119, these are a collection of prayers and meditation on God's character, his actions, and his word. Uh, the psalm is what they call an acrostic. It's an alphabetical arrangement, and each paragraph is eight, ver- eight verses, and each line begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, we're not sure who wrote it, but we're thankful that they did and that God preserved it. And so what you have is each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, um, eight verses, each line starting with, a, with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's a collection of prayers and meditations that this uh, psalmist wrote for us. 
It's 176 verses long, so get ready to be here till noon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're not going to do all 176 verses. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the theme that is, wo- that is woven through this psalm and the seven meditations that the psalmist brings up as we go through it. Before we do that, let me pray. So, Father, uh, we, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank that, you, that you're here. Uh, you're listening to my words right now and so many others. Uh, you're, you're listening to the thoughts of our minds and the intentions of our heart and you know us in a way that is just hard for us to even fathom. I don't even know myself that, way, that well and you know every person alive that well. Um, you are, you are an infinite, loving God. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to think about who you are. And uh, right now, God, what we want to do is we just want to recognize that you have revealed yourself to us through the scriptures, that we can know you through the scriptures, Um, and that by spending time in the Bible, we're spending time with you as we meditate and focus our minds on who you say that you are and how you want us to live. uh, You're guiding us uh, to a sense of life and peace and fullness that we would never find on our own. Um, many of us have tried, uh, we, many of us know that season of trying to find life on our own and it's exhausting and unfulfilling. Um, and I think that's a lot of times where depression comes from, God, is, is we try and fill ourselves up with things other than you um, and uh, it's exhausting and unfulfilling and we end up in this position of feeling like, what what is life even about? And what is very clear from the scripture, God, as you've revealed to us that life and eternal life is about knowing God, our Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to us. And so may we know you more clearly, and not fully, that's, that's going to take all of eternity for us to even begin to do that, but may we know you more fully than we do when we came here, and may we be spurred on, um, hungry, desiring to know more of you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. That was the best amen I've ever heard. Okay, Psalm 119. So I'm going to pick up in verse, uh, verse 15. And what I have for you here, I don't usually give you guys my notes because um, I'm dyslexic and <laughs> editing notes that I write, are just, it's just not a fun thing to do. So if there's things that are out of order or you're like, what's the matter with this guy? That's what it is. Um, but uh, I've given you my notes. I'm going to do my very best to stick to these. If I, if I get on rabbit trails, we're going to be here way too long. And, um, and so you, if you want to open those up, you have most of what I'm going to share with you. Um, and so picking up in verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. So that word meditate is to praise, teach, and think deeply with thanks and praise. The idea that he's giving us here, uh, when you hear the word meditate, you may think of something Eastern and there's like incense burning and somebody sitting cross-legged saying, "Om" or I don't know what they're doing. Um, but the idea in that is that you're emptying yourself. The Eastern idea of meditation is an emptying of self. The point of nirvana is when you've emptied yourself so much that you cease to exist, okay? And that's not the biblical definition of meditate. The biblical definition of meditate is actually a filling. So instead of an emptying, biblical meditation is a filling. And so we actually want to fill ourselves by praising God and teaching ourselves the truths of what what is in scripture, okay? And so when you hear the word meditate, that's what you need to think, a filling of oneself with God's truth through praise, honoring him for what, who he is and what he's done, 
teaching, actually taking the scriptures and saying, what does this mean? And teaching it to yourself, maybe teaching it to others. By the way, most of the time, what I do on Sunday morning is probably more preaching than teaching. This morning, I'm going to do more teaching than preaching. I want you to understand what's in this passage, okay? Um, And so, you teach yourself what's there, and you do it in a way that you're thinking about it deeply. It's not just sort of a um, subtle... Uh, thoughtless thing, but you're actually really digging into what is this about. And you're doing it from a position of thanking God that he's revealed himself to you. Thank you that you're even talking to me. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to me through the pages of scripture. Okay. And so the first thing that he says he meditates on is precepts and this is instructions or procedures. And so you could, you could talk about this maybe as like morality, right? God has instructions or procedures for understanding morality. Uh, Here's, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Here's how I want you to go about morality with your finances. Here I want you to go about morality with your sexuality. Here's how I want you to go about morality with fill in the blank, right? God has these instructions for us on how he wants us to practice a upright and moral life. And he says, I'm going to meditate on those. I'm going to be thankful that you've given them to me. What a wonderful thing that we don't have to come up with right and wrong. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I don't have to come up with it by myself. I don't have to go find it. I don't have to trust my experiences to understand it. But instead, there is a singular objective truth about morality that God has delivered to us. That's great news. It's wonderful news. Unless you'd like to play the little G God game and decide those things for yourself. Then it's kind of a statement of you're wrong and God's right. And so we need to deal with that. Oh, I just dove into preaching. Sorry, I'm doing teaching this morning. Um, the next thing he says is think. He says, behold, uh, the, the idea. He says, I'm going to behold or look at your ways. Uh, and, and ways is a route, manner, or destiny. He says, I'm going to behold the big picture of what God has revealed. Okay, And so for us as Christians, we can look at a timeline and we can say, well, we know what's happened from, you know, with certain degree of certainty, what's happened from the beginning of humanity to today. There's some question marks, but we could look at a timeline and you could put, you could put Abraham and Moses and you could put, you know, David and Jesus and you could build a timeline of how God has revealed himself to humanity through the scriptures and these different people. Um, you could go through the apostles and you go through church history and you can say, now we've made it to 2021. It's almost 2022. And when are you coming? back. Um, But uh, the idea is that we actually have a timeline that's bigger than that. I don't know what's going to happen in 2022 or 2024 or maybe, maybe it'll be 30, 20 something before, you know, I don't know when he's coming back, but I know the big picture. He's revealed to us that he is coming back and that the destiny that he has revealed for humanity is that those of us who trust him and follow him are going to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth where there is no sin and no death and we will be with him. The destiny of those who reject him is a place that we describe as hell. And, and they just say, these are people that say, I don't want to follow you, God. And so he says, okay, don't follow me. And they spend eternity without God and with other sinful beings. Okay, that's what hell is. So you have those two destinies, but the destiny for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, it is glorious. It is wonderful. It is marvelous. It's more than we can even fully take in. Um, If you read the places where people talk about being in God's presence, his home, um, they have a hard time describing him and that place, but we know that it's wonderful. And so he says, that's what I think about. That's what I behold. Um, If you were to read Psalm chapter 46, this is a psalmist who's going through difficult, difficult times. And he says, your breakers and your waves are crashing over me. And he says, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to behold your glory. And when I behold your glory, you renew me. 
When I behold who you are and your destiny for me, it renews me. It renews my soul, my mind. It just renews me. And so that's what he's talking about doing. I'm beholding God in this way. I'm going to behold him and his destiny that he has for me. And so that's the first thing that he teaches us to do. Meditate on God's morality and his destiny. What are his instructions and procedures and what is the destiny that he has revealed to us? We want to fill ourselves with those things. Now, the next thing he says, he says, help me understand the meaning of your precepts so I can meditate on your wonders. Help me understand. That's one Hebrew word that means to uh, understand or discern. I want to be able to grasp these things in a way that I can apply them to my life. I want to understand the meaning, the, the manner or the behavior of your precepts. What does it look like to be moral on a regular basis? Help me discern that so that I can then live that way. And then he says, as I'm walking in your morality, what I'm then going to do is I'm going to meditate. I'm going to praise and teach myself about your wonders. And wonders are things that are too difficult to understand, miraculous acts. And so these are the things that God has done throughout history for the Jewish people, the one that they went back to over and over again. You see this in the Psalms. Guy says, life is difficult. Life is hard. Everything's a mess. But I remember who you are and I remember how you grabbed us out of Egypt. And there was the miraculous acts of the 10 plagues and the Passover lamb and the meal that took place there. And we remember that on an annual basis, how you passed over our sin and saved us from death. And then you took us out of slavery and you brought us through the Red Sea. And then you provided for us with water and manna. And they just remembered God's miraculous acts. Now for us as believers, we would then maybe turn to the gospel of John and you could see the seven signs that are in John. You see these seven signs that are in John. And then we remember how, how Jesus performed these things and that his, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he draws us into relationship with him, this miraculous act. The other thing that is miraculous that God has done uh, is, is he has transformed those who are in him from, from being just broken and sinful by nature to being brand new creations in Christ. And that's what that handout at the back is about. If you don't know your identity in Christ or you want something to help you remember your identity in Christ, um, I've, I've grabbed the verses that are in the New Testament that talk about our identity in Christ. And it's a great thing to read through and meditate. God, you have transformed me in these amazing ways. I just got a little excited and my dad's in the crowd and he went like this to me. I just got to simmer down, Kurt. <laughs> That's funny. Verse 48, he says, I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Uh, that word lift up, I will lift up my hands. Uh, the, the idea is it's, it's open palmed. Uh, is what it means. You're open palmed. And this is a statement of, of need, but it's also a position of receiving, right? Uh, and, and that's when you see, when you raise your hands in worship or something like that, it's a position of you're greater, you're higher. Like you don't raise your hands to people that are shorter than you, you know, you don't hold your hand out to your kids. You know, you, you, they hold their hands out to you. It's a position of need, um, but it's also a position of, of receiving, Okay, and so that's what that word is about. It's about receiving from God. And he says, I, I lift up my hands to your commands. And that word command is a commission, a full set of instructions to complete an intended mission. Um, I, I praise you and I lift up your, my hands to you that you have given me purpose and meaning and value. Wow, look at what you've done for me. Um, you are the king on the throne and I lift my hands because you have invited me into your mission. 
You have given me a great commission. Uh, you've invited me into being a part of the church, which is to, uh, we're here to seek and save the lost as Jesus seek and save the lost. We're here to make disciples and grow people up into fishers of men and teach them about their spiritual gifts and teach them about their identity in Christ and draw them into this amazing relationship with Jesus so that the life of Christ spills out of them and draws other people into the church. You've invited me into this, this great commission. I, I'm just in awe of this. And if you think about depression, what precedes the suicidal thoughts most of the time is despair from a lack of purpose and meaning. And God is looking at you saying, you think you don't have purpose and meaning? Come here. Let me invite you into the throne room. Let me clothe you in Christ. Let me enrich you with my grace. Let me give you the sword of the spirit. Let me put on the helmet of salvation. Let me give you the breastplate of righteousness. Let me send you into this world with greater mission than you could ever find on your own. And so he says, I lift my hands to you in that way. He says, I love those things. They're, they're, they're dear to me. I, they're, they're things that I admire and desire close proximity to because of their attractive goodness. God, you are redeeming the world. You are using uh, fellow men and women. You are using Christians to redeem the world. It's all your power. It's all your grace. It's the, your spirit and your son. Uh, it's your word. But we embody it. We, we, we bring it wherever we go. And so you've invited us into this. What a, I, I, I just want to be in close proximity to what you're doing. I don't want to be in left field. I want to be right in the middle of what you're doing. I love it. It says, I will meditate on your statutes. And so statutes is, these are laws or prescriptions given to experience life, blessing, and harmony with God and others. Uh, Jesus, when he was asked, what, are the, what is the greatest commandment? What are the greatest, what's the greatest law? He says that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and all your soul. And then he says the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to meditate on what I need to do to live a life in harmony with God and then be able to bless others and experience life as God intended. Is I have to, palms up, receive from God everything that I need. Palms up. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm incapable of, of, of living this life without you. I don't even want to try to live this life without you. Do you remember the years I did that? What a disaster. Would you fill me? And as he fills you, you then live in harmony with other people. And the amazing thing about this is he has so much grace for the times where we lift our hands to the wrong thing and try to be filled with the wrong things. But what he is willing to do is correct us and say, no, draw it here. But what the psalmist is saying is I'm going to fix my mind on that. I'm going to teach myself that every day. I'm going to teach myself every day that, that possessions can't fill me. I'm going to teach myself every day that sexual experiences can't fill me. I'm going to teach myself every day that anything created in this world is incapable of giving me life. I have to go to God. God, if I want life. And then he's going to free me up to bless other people. And then in verse 78, he talks a bit about what he's dealing with. He says, let the arrogant be put to shame for their, slander, for their slandering me with lies. I will meditate on your precepts. The word arrogant is a disposition of a disrespectful, rude know-it-all. This is somebody who has no need of God or his wisdom. They know in everything in and of themselves. 
Slandering is to bend, falsify, or suppress the truth, to pervert or make crooked. And so what they're doing is they're, they're making the psalmist out to be someone that he is not. Um, and lies are a breach of faith, a covenant or relationship breaker. He says, These, this is what I'm dealing with, God. He says, I'm dealing with people who, they, they're know-it-alls. They don't, they, don't, they don't have any desire for you or your wisdom. Uh, they're slanderers. They, they make me and you out to be someone that you're not. And another part of, again, with, with depression, one of the things that happens is people believe these lies about themselves. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't believe these lies about yourself, but instead you should trust in God's grace. And so what, the, what these lies do is they actually cause us to be relationship breakers. When we believe them and we fall into that pit of despair of believing these things about ourselves, we then find is we, we have difficult time being in relationship with not just God, but others as well. But this is what he says he's dealing with as I was as I was going through this and printing this out and I was studying this verse and editing and going back through and making sure it was right I ran over to the other office where uh, or Lisa's office where the printer is and uh, her daughter had worked and doing some stuff with abandoned mines so there's a sticker on the on the cabinet that says abandoned mines stay out stay alive well I just read this and I read abandoned mines m-i-n-d-s um and these are mines that have abandoned God. They've abandoned the pursuit of him. They've abandoned his wisdom. They've abandoned his truth. And so in a similar way, stay out, stay alive. Don't let these things define you. Don't go into that pit. He says, instead, I will meditate. I will teach myself and praise you based upon your precepts. And in verse 97, he says, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. That word instruction, direction, or teaching, it was often used as a synonym for the Torah, which is how the Jewish people, that was the word they used for the Bible at that point in time, the scriptures. And so this was a synonym for the scriptures. And so he says, I love your Scriptures. I love your word. I love the Bible. Um, it is my meditation all day long. And this word meditation, it's different than what we had before. This is thoughtful contemplation on written and respected sources of wisdom. Okay. So written or spoken sources of wisdom. So these are the places where you go, okay, I'm, I'm not sure what to do here. I need, I need some, I need some truth. Where do I turn? And he says, I turn to the Bible. Um, when I'm in need of truth, when I'm in need of instruction, the place that I go for this respected written source of wisdom is God and his word. I don't go to the TV. I don't go to the internet. I don't go fill in the blank. I don't go to those places. I don't go to political parties. I, I go to God and his word. If I want wisdom on how to handle a situation, and that's what wisdom is, it's to become a good decision maker based upon knowledge and experience. So you turn to God's word, you get knowledge, maybe through some of your experience, you've tried this and you found out what works and what doesn't and you become a good decision maker. He says, if I want to be a good decision maker and then the other word that he uses is insight. That's to have comprehension of circumstances. If I want to understand circumstances and know how to make good decisions, I'm not turning on the TV. I'm not jumping on the internet. I'm not listening to what the political pundits have to say. I am going to God. If I want to understand the circumstances of this world and I want to know how to make good decisions within it, I'm not going those places. 
right? It doesn't matter what my friends at school say. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter if I do the thing that isn't popular and catch flack for it. Um, I've been working with students over at Sierra Lutheran, and one of the questions that I asked them was, you know, how do you feel about sharing your beliefs, particularly in the realm of a biblical sexual moral? And one of the kids said, I just keep my mouth shut because if I say anything, I know I'm going to get flack for it. And you know what? He's right. If he says, I believe in a biblical sexual moral and I'm going to uphold this biblical sexual moral, then he is going to catch flack for it, even if he's gentle and loving in the process of doing it, because it's not the way that the world thinks. But what he is saying is I agree with God's definition for this, I'm, but I'm afraid to say it because I'll catch flack from the rude know-it-alls. And what we need to hear more than ever as believers is don't be afraid to believe the right beliefs and say them out loud. Now you say them with love and there's a balance between truth and love. And if you're all truth and you just blurt it out with, with, with no love, you have no, you have no uh, influence. If you're all love and you just say, yeah, people can do whatever they want and God will forgive them. You have no influence. The balance of influence has to be between truth and love. And so you speak in truth and love into these situations that are difficult situations, but you turn to God and his word to understand the circumstances and make good decisions, not other sources of wisdom. He says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. Um, and that word decrees is a word that means confirmation of truth through experience. Um, God has decreed things to be the way that they are, and then the people had experienced them, and they say, not only do I believe this truth because I read it, but I've experienced this truth, and I know it to be the way that things are. He moves on, verse 147. I rise before the dawn and cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. I'm awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. Uh, a couple of words here that, that jump off the page are, are, are hope. That means to wait, uh, to, to, to anticipate action matching another's character. So as I know who you are, God, and I know what you've done in the past, and so as I wait, I'm waiting for you to act in line with your character. You're not going to act outside of your character because you are unchanging. You are, your love endures forever. There is, you, you, you never change. Circumstances don't, dic don't dictate God's person. And so I know that you're going to act based upon who you've revealed yourself to be. And so I'm waiting for that. Um, uh, the, the other part of that word wait that's really cool, it has the idea of, of like an animal crouching in anticipation of, of catching something. So like you picture a, a cat and it's all crouched and all its muscles are tense and it's ready to leap and grab something. That's what that word wait has the idea or, or the word hope has the idea of that we're crouching in anticipation. God's going to act in line with his character. And when he does it, I'm ready to bounce. Uh, the, word o the, the word word is an oath or statement of what's to come. It was also used as a synonym for God's word. Um, and so God has made these oaths. He has told us the things that are to come. Uh, promise is an assurance or declaration that one will take a particular course of action. God has made several of these promises throughout scripture. You can look at how he interacted with Noah, Abraham, David. Uh, there, there's multiple places where God makes covenants and he is going to fulfill them. Not maybe, not if, he will fulfill them. Okay. And uh, when we get into the new covenant, the promises that he has made there are just absolutely glorious 
this for us as believers. I don't have time to go into all of them. Um, but it, it, he, we, we can just, we can, we can trust that God is going to act according to the promises that he has made. Um, and then he gets into this darkness again in 143. He says, trouble and distress have overtaken me, but your commands are my delight. Your decrees are righteous forever. Give me understanding and I will live. Uh, so the circumstances that he finds himself in, he says they're troubling. It's, it's restraining. It's causing him anxiety. It's pressing on him. It's this place of dis- distress or desperation. The situation is tight. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, overtaken has the idea that it's actually taken possession of him. He says, I am in such a dark spot right now. Um, but your decrees are righteous forever. I'm going to trust you and give me understanding and I will live. So he's hearkening back to those, those other verses. Okay. And then he says this in 105 through 107, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet for my feet and a light on my path. So that's the verse that you'll see on coffee cups, um, t-shirts. If you dig into it, it's really pretty interesting. Uh, the, the word just means statement or account. Uh, he's, so God's account, God's statements of what is true is he says, it's a lamp for my feet. And that word feet means like footfall or steps, actions that he's taking. And a lamp at that point in time, you can't picture one of these awesome, like uh, I have one of these lanterns and it's like 3000 lumens, you know, like it would just light up the room all by itself in here. You're not talking about one of those. We're talking about lights that they had at this point in time. And what those would have done in the dark is they would have maybe given you a couple steps. Oh, I can see, oh, I don't want to set my foot there. That's sand. Oh, I don't want to set my foot there, you know, but I do want to. And so it was just enough light to take the next few steps. And that's the idea that he's drawing out here. Your, your statements, your decrees of what's true. When I'm in the dark, they give me just enough to say, I'm going to put my foot here. I'm going to put my foot here. And you know what? Sometimes I think it's that way because it's all we could handle, right? If you're in a, se- a season of darkness and depression and he says, well, just head on down 395. You're going to make a left here and a right there and oh, there's this other thing and there's no Siri. You just got to remember all this, right? You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, come here. I got a lamp. Let's step right here and let's step right here and we're going to get you out of this darkness. Okay. And so that's what he's revealing with that. But the other thing that he says, he says, it's a light to my path. And so path is a direction or way of life and light is daylight or sunshine. So he says, when I'm in the darkness, I'm not sure what to do next, but your word is just enough to take the next few steps. But I also know that the path that you have me on when the sunlight shines on it leads to a really good place. I know that the end of the path with you is a good place. He's not going to take you down a path that isn't going to glorify him and transform you into the image of Jesus. He's always going to take you down a path that is good. Maybe not one that is easy, but he's always going to take you down one that is good. So that's what that verse is revealing. Now, our will in this, in verse 106, and this is always hard to say, I have solemnly sworn to keep my righteous judgments. I think you could make a tongue twister out of that if you did a little bit more. Um, I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. And so this is where our will comes into it. So it means to stand up and belong to and give a pledge. So he's saying, I'm going to stand up and I am making a pledge that I will follow God. Right? This is the exertion of our will, where we say, based upon his goodness, based upon his grace, based upon his mercy, based upon the awesomeness of who God is, I am following Jesus. 
I'm not following this other thing. I'm not following that other thing. I'm following Jesus. And I'm solemnly, I'm standing up and I'm pledging. I am following Jesus. Okay. And for the Christian experience, that's what baptism is mostly about. It's about some other things, but it is a public pledge where you stand up and you say, I am following Jesus. And if you haven't taken that step as a Christian, I encourage you to do so. Maybe you've already taken that step in your heart and in your mind, but the public proclamation is important. You say, I am following Jesus. It does a couple of things. One, you have to mean it. Like you can kind of mean it in the back of your mind, but when you stand up in front of everybody and say it, you got to mean it. Um, and then the other side of it is there, uh, there are people around you that go, oh, this is great. Let's celebrate together. You've given your life to Christ. You are following him. And so if you're, if you're in that position where, uh, you know, different people are on different paths, maybe you're here this morning and you've been apart from God for a while, but you want to make a decision to follow him. I encourage you to stand up in front of somebody and say, somebody, somebody you came with or a pastor and say, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. I solemnly swear that the direction of my life is after him. And then when you do that, we're going to celebrate and we're going to invite you to be baptized and be a part of this community and then begin to grow deeper and deeper in God's word. But that's a choice that we have to make with our will. And so the culmination of our study in Psalm 119 is that God directs us to praise, teach, and ponder his precepts, ways, wonders, statutes, instructions, decrees, and promises. In doing so, uh, doing so provides enough light for us to take a few steps at a time in the darkness and provides full illumination of the way of life we can pursue with God. And so that's what he's drawing us into, okay? Um, you're in a season of darkness or depression. You know somebody who is. God's answer is to spend time in his word. He wants you to spend time with him in his word. Now, many of you, you hear that and you go, I don't know how. I'm not sure how to do that. Okay, and that's, like I said earlier, that's where you need to engage in the Christian community. God doesn't expect you to walk this alone. He, that's, that's why the church exists, right? So that people who are seeking God can come together and grow in deeper relationship with him through the study of the Bible and in communion and fellowship with each other. Uh, that's, that's what it's all about. Now, how do you apply this? There, there's no shortcut here, okay? I don't have, um, I don't have a shortcut for you. God is guiding us to, to be dedicated to handle his word often and seriously. Um, the, the, the path that God has for us is a lifetime decision, right? Jesus said, take up your cross daily. If you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. So it's, it's not a, hey, I did this for a week and now everything's hunky-dory. It's, you got to follow, hunky-dory, who says that? You got to follow him for your life, So he's guiding us to be dedicated to handle his word often and seriously. And so what I have here for you is some scriptures, okay? So that if you want to meditate on God's precepts or instructions for Christian living, read Ephesians 4. You want to meditate on God's, or, or those other passages. You want to meditate on his ways or destiny for his followers. John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation chapter 21. You may want to meditate on his wonders or things too difficult to understand. You have the seven signs that are listed there in John, as well as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Exodus 13 um, through 17, that's, that's the verses that I referenced that the Jewish people would have gone back to over and over again. Galatians 2.20 is that it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so we talk about this brand new identity that God has given you. And so if you want to know more about that wonder of your identity in Christ, that's what the handout at the back is about. 
You want to meditate on his commands and statutes or set of instructions to complete a mission. Matthew 28 is the great commission. Acts 1.8 Acts 1, is that you will be my witnesses here. He says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we are to be God's witnesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is dealing with the, the ministry of the new covenant and that we are ambassadors for Christ. Matthew 7 Matthew 22, Galatians 5. There's so many passages to look at here. And like I, I said above, this list is not exhaustive. You could add so many other passages to this list. Um, you want to you wanna meditate on his instructions or direction and teaching. Romans chapter 6, 8 through 39. Um, Joel's not here, but he would walk you through that for at least three years. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, but... But he, like seriously, there's just so much truth right there. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 is walking by the Spirit. Philippians 2 is the mind of Christ. Uh, it, God just has these directions for us. Meditate on God's decrees or confirmation of truth through experience. Uh, th both those passages there in Acts and, and 2 Peter talk about being eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus. They saw him. Um. His promises or oaths, what you have there, the, all those passages are a list of the covenants that God made throughout scripture. So those are places where you could dig into the covenants. And so there, there's no shortcut here. You got to dig in. You got to wear out the pages of, of your Bible and seek God through his word. If you're going, man, that's intimidating. I'm not sure how. Um, I encourage you to engage deeper in this Christian community. Be a part of a Bible study during the week. Um, if you want, you want to say, hey, I'd love to be able to study the Bible on my own. Uh, we've got 10 or 12 guys that are part of the men's group on Monday night. We put together a, here's how you study the Bible and present a message. Maybe you don't care about the message part, but you want the information on how to study the Bible. I'm happy to give it to you. Um, and then the other part of this, and I didn't read it above, but in reading, you may find at times that these passages bring up more questions than answers. I mean, if you've been reading the Bible and you go, well, I thought I, thought I came here for answers, but all I'm getting is more questions. What's this about? What's that? What's God doing here? Well, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Um, and so scripture is meant to be contemplated and not always fully understood. Um, we have a mindset with liter literature that you can read it once, write a book report, and move on to the next book. That is not the way that the Bible is intended to be read. It's not read it through one time and then do a report and then go on to the next source. The Bible is meant to be read over and over and over again. And there may be seasons of your life where you read Philippians chapter four and you go, man, in this season, I applied it like this and God just encouraged me so much in this way. And then you get to a different season of life and you find yourself in that passage again, you read it again, you're like, oh, how come I didn't see this last time? It's because God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it continues to penetrate our hearts and our minds in ways that we could never have happened other places. Um, if you don't have it on your phone already, I cannot encourage enough that you get the YouVersion app. Um, there's just so many good things you can do with the Bible on there, plans and reminders and all these different things. But the encouragement here is spend time in God's word. And so with that encouragement, let me pray. Father, we thank you again that you have revealed yourself to us through the pages of scripture. We thank you that your son, our Lord Jesus, came to this earth and took on flesh, that he revealed the exact likeness of the Father, that in Jesus we see the fullness of God. Uh, we thank you for the miraculous signs and wonders and promises that you've made to us. We thank you for the transformation that those of us who know you have experienced in our hearts and our minds. <laughs> Boy, I am just not who I was before I met you. 
God, I pray that those seeking you this morning would hear that. The experiential knowledge of I am not who I was before I met Jesus. And they would say, what? God, how do, how do, I, how do I experience and taste that as well? How do I get in close proximity with the God of the universe who loved me so much that he died on a cross to save me from my sins and, and then raised me up for newness of life. How do I get in close proximity with him? And then maybe they're not sure exactly what all the next steps are, but that you would give them just enough to make the next few steps. And first would be to talk to somebody uh, that they came with this morning or one of the pastoral staff to take those next steps. God, we thank you that you, you save us, you free us, you give us ongoing wisdom and insight in this crazy world that we live in. And you give us tremendous purpose, this commission that you've given to us to be your witnesses and your ambassadors. We praise you open-handed for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. tuning in today. We hope this message brought hope and positive steps you can take towards seeking God and knowing His peace. If you would like prayer support, you can text us or call us at 775-984-8787. Next week, we'll see four ways that God invites us into relationship with Him. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.